Heavy Metal Culture Clash with Geoff Thorpe from Vicious Rumors and Thomas Metal Moser from Rock Antenna, Germany's number one rock radio station. It's on the rolling, Jeff. Are you here? I'm back. <laughs> Thank I'm, God. I'm back. The Heavy Metal Culture Clash is back, ladies and gentlemen. It's another episode of really, you know, people talking about what matters to them the most. Knitting and uh, <laughs> selling shoes on the corner. I don't know. No, it's about heavy metal and the whole world and universe. It, it's not a world anymore. It's a universe of hard music and uh, the past, the present, the future. And uh, it's, I think it's actually the fourth show, the fourth episode, but we haven't touched on one thing yet. What's that, man? Lemmy. Oh. We've never talked about Lemmy before, but Lemmy is something we got to talk about. Absolutely. When was the first time you met him? You know, the first time I met Lemmy was in England. Yeah. And we were doing a show at the Marquee. Mm-hmm. Uh, the and it was the it was the original marquee. We were so excited because we knew like, hey man, yeah. the Who has played here, yeah, the yeah. Beatles have played here. <laughs> yeah. So it was a it was a really exciting night for us. And we went to an after party that night. Yeah. And Lemmy and King Diamond. Oh man, you gotta be joking. We're we're both there and we're we're all hanging out together. And and I love to tell this story because this is a true story. Lemmy, I now, think hang on, it, hang on, I gotta I gotta some I gotta say something right here. Okay. You know, I call myself Metal Moser. I listening to you talking about you know pulling out those old stories i think i know nothing about metal oh not true <laughs> Just be it, vice versa uh, <laughs> yours truly uh jeff thorpe vicious rumors with me here in the in the studio in the podcast studio so to say yes. of our little heavy metal universe here uh just if it's the first time you hear this we're talking about metal and, and music and uh, everything that excites us and uh, uh jeff knows shit It means he does. He knows all the shit. Well, it's it's not that didn't come out right. Well, <laughs> he knows. He doesn't know. He doesn't know bullshit. He he knows a lot of stuff, which is amazing, which I've never heard of. Well, you know, I've been fortunate to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, <laughs> way too often. So, <laughs> but but you know, you it's always survived. You always. You know, I could pick your brain, Thomas, for hours because you've interviewed like all my heroes. And all so many big names, and I, I know that. No, I'm sorry. I, no, I had to disappoint you, but I never interviewed Duran Duran. Oh, you got me. <laughs> Now that hurt. Uh, I know that I know. hurt. That's, I'm so sorry, you know. But Simon LeBon was never available. <laughs> kind of, Ouch! <laughs> Ouch! Okay. Let, what about Lemmy? Lemmy, you went to this after show party okay. with, and Lemmy and King Diamond were there. You yeah, gotta be joking. Lemmy and King Diamond, and we're all having beers together, and like. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, at that time, Lemmy was considered um, like the loudest guy in heavy metal. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. The, the most brash, like the loudest, and he was just a badass. And, you know, the one thing that, that uh, get changing just slightly, the one thing that I've always appreciated about Lemmy is like throughout the years, like every time I was around him, yeah. whether we were playing festivals together or I just ran into him at the whiskey or like this first time that I met him, he was always just the same badass dude. Mm. Like he just treated you the same. Your wife calls. He, he said something, said something. <laughs> What's God. wrong with here, your, with your girls? Go. I mean, Wait, hold on one second. This is a, this is, this one's important. Um, hi grandma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm do. Um, yes, I, I did let your dog out. Um, I'm sorry. I, I had to go and that's why I didn't let him back in. I don't, He's not there yet? 
Okay, I want you to call the Humane Society. Okay, see, no, the Filipino family doesn't live there anymore. Don't worry, your dog's going to come home, honey. Okay, I love you, Grandma. Bye. Sorry, bro. Um, you got to be choking. The heavy metal so, grandma's calling. Uh, it's out of control. But, um, no, so at this time, you know, and... and so I always appreciate that about Lemmy. And like when he said something to you, like you kind of just really took it to heart because yeah. he just had this like no bullshit about him. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so we're all at this, we're at this club and King diamond's got a beer and, and he's, he, we all have beers in one hand and uh, some, some people came up and bought us all a round of beers and stuff. And I remember like, King Diamond had a beer and he was like about half full of it. And then yeah. someone gave him a new beer yeah. and, he, and he just looks at us and he goes, Oh, I have this one and I have this one. What should I do? <laughs> and then he just looks and he looked at us with this really creepy King Diamond look and then just dropped the half beer. And it just, and like a glass just shattered on the floor. And for some reason, it scared the fuck out of me. And like, it was just, he had this like really evil kind of just twinge in his eye when he did it you know and like lemmy was laughing and stuff and 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 our drummer larry yeah. okay yeah. larry howe yeah. a true animal <laughs> true double bass monster hits things for a living <laughs> one of those guys that hangs out with musicians a drummer <laughs> um no he's an ultimate musician but uh man larry is when he has a couple beers and he's telling some stories okay <laughs> There's nobody louder. There's no. There's nobody that sticks out more. And Larry was on fire. Okay, so we're you know he's got Lemmy on one side of him, King Diamond on the other side, breaking glasses. Uh, Le- Lemmy's laughing. Larry's screaming and hollering. And Larry's just turns up the volume like just to the point where like. I mean, I'm used to it, okay? I've been around the guy 35 years. I'm used to it. But Lemmy just goes, turns, Lemmy turns around to him, puts his hand on his shoulder. Save it for the stage, mate. Turn it down a little bit, man. Save it for the stage, you know? And we, I was dying. And I, I grabbed Larry, like five minutes later, I grabbed him. I go, do you, Larry, do you realize what just happened? <laughs> The loudest guy in the world just said you were too loud. So that's kind of my that's that's one of my, one of the most special things I remember. But like I said, throughout the years, every time I was around Lemmy, like he's just kind of he had this like uh, completely unforced just realism about him. Like yeah, what, totally. Even if he just spoke to you, if it was just something simple or whatever it was. To be honest, um, you know, I've never I've never met. Lem, well, I met him on the side maybe once or so, but I always talked to this guy like for business. You know, I was always interviewing him. So the first time I interviewed, I, I get an interview with, with Lemmy was 2000, 2001. I'm new in this business more or less, you know, and uh, I, I peed my pants before that. You guys, you, you go and talk to Lemmy. You know? Yeah. So what do you do? You know, you went, it was in Munich, they played a show here and uh, Anthrax was opening up. And you, before you go, before you get to Lemmy, you go, you go through, there was a long, like, like a hose, like, you know, where all those bands were in. Uh, and you go through the first room and there's Anthrax sitting there. So you walk past them, right? And then you go to the second room and there's Motorhead sitting there, right? But no Lemmy. So you get to the final room it's the third room and it's Lemmy's room okay. obviously it's Lemmy's room and you're in there and uh, 
you know, he, he saw that I was nervous. He, like, like, I was really, really nervous because I heard the thing that, like, if he doesn't like the first question, you know, this interview is going to be over, man. He's going to be real, I believe that. real, real pissy. So I'm like, I peep my pants. And he, he realized that. So he goes like, hi, Thomas. You want a drink? Here's, you want a cigarette? You know, check everything all the time. Perfectly. But then again, he's the kind of guy who's, as he, as he said, he's so normal. Like I would, I would ask him something. He would go like, "Yeah, maybe," and he means it. You know, there's not, there's not, there's nothing more to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I no, need very, to fucking know the next question. You know, when to talk to him. Ah, very was, matter of fact and just totally, totally, hundred percent real. I know yeah, what you mean. I could like I, I talked to him three times. I interviewed him three times over the years, and uh, the second time was really good. The second time I was, I knew what I, what was going to happen. You know, and, and how he would be, because there's one other fact you gotta you gotta really pay attention to. If you're not a native speaker of English, and you talk to Lemmy for the first time, you you get a nervous breakdown, okay? Because you don't understand what this guy is saying. <laughs> he's yeah, he had he had a as bit you of said a... before, he's the loudest guy in the interview. He might be as well be the 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 quietest guy. Okay. He goes like I'm like, what the fuck did you just say? Yeah. You gotta react to this. I can't I was like <laughs> I'm like, yes, and your new record, how is you know something. He, he was one of those guys, you know, he was one of those guys that just had this like uh natural like he I always kind of thought like how could you ever be as badass as Lemmy? You know ah, what I mean? Without yeah. without being forced. You know, like you, the only yeah. way you could be badass as badass as Lemmy is like if you'd almost have to go to school for it or something. <laughs> you know, he just was a natural at it. You know, but yeah, but but on the same hand, he was so many different types of of, of persons because you know I've never met the badass guy. I've never met him. He was already cult and and beyond good and evil when I first met him. Yeah. So I, what I experienced and encountered. Was a guy that was would be sitting backstage all the time. Every time I, I saw him and met and I met him, he would be there, JD and Coke, a cigarette, and a book. Very calm and a book. Yeah, very calm reading. And the the only thing I re- the, the only time I really sort of got him off talking was when we talked about the biography of Keith Richards because at the time when we talked, it just came out and I finished it already. I had finished it. He was two thirds in it, and uh, I said, "What do you think?" He goes, oh man, you know, put the, oh Keith, what do, you, what do you think he's gonna do? That's not right, you know, blah blah. blah. <laughs> and he, he went off with about Keith Richards, right? And Keith Richards is, is a person I wouldn't go off on, <laughs> you know, per se. Yeah, because uh, there's Lemmy going on on Keith, off, on, on Keith Richards. I'm like, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know, but he. He didn't, you know, he goes, this guy, he didn't, he thinks he invented rock and roll, he didn't, you know, uh, that's how he, how he thought. And, uh, I don't know, it was just, I was just, I don't know, he was, he was, he was nice and I, I was afraid of him too. Yeah. And then, but then he was really intelligent and he was really blue collar work. He was everything. Lemmy was everything. That, that's what that's I, crazy. And I think that's that's truly what I mean about like how his like his his level of being a badass was just so natural. Like he could be like completely calm, just relaxed talking to you, but with this air of yeah. realism and uh, you know looked up to around the world. And 
rightfully so. Like there was just something real special about the guy, you know. I would have loved to have heard some of his Jimi Hendrix stories, like you know. I, you know what? I've I tried to touch on those, but sometimes he just wouldn't go in there. Yeah, uh, we talked about you know he he, he taught. Sid Vicious, or he tried to to teach Sid Vicious to play bass. Yeah, he gave up on it. <laughs> he, he was like, "Dude, you know it's not gonna happen. Yeah. Ne- never mind. Never mind. Just just don't don't do it." But funny thing is, he also, he also he would have no. How do you say? I don't know. He he wouldn't be afraid of saying like, "You know, I got I got five girlfriends at the moment." Oh. I juggle, you know, it's, it's okay, you know, if, if they can handle me, I can handle them, you know, blah, blah. He, he would say something like this. It's just, he goes like, I want to be so cool like you. <laughs> I, I really do appreciate it. But sadly enough, you know, last time I saw him was one, one month before his death. Oh. It was at this Munich show that was uh, recorded for DVD mm-hmm. that they, that they released, you know, after he was dead. And, uh, and I, you know, I saw him, and I, I didn't have an interview. I had an interview with Girl School, just to, to close the circle again, because uh, they were around, and he was with Saxon and Girl School. Yeah, that was the package. And I had an interview with with uh, Biff from Saxon and with the girls from Girl School, and uh, not with Motorhead because he did only one interview a day, and the, that slot was already taken. So, I, but the, she, he had this promoter girl, this lady uh, Ute Kromrai. And uh, she was with him for years and years and years. They knew each other inside out, and, and she was uh, actually talking on uh, on his funeral too. Oh. Uh, so she was. I saw that on the on the internet when they when they when they broadcasted. But Ute said, like, she grabbed me. He goes, like, Thomas, come here. Uh, let's go in and take a picture with Lemmy. You know, quick, come in, come in. So I went in there, and it was uh, an hour before the show, and uh, I saw him sitting there, and. And I don't know, I don't know how I could have been so stupid not, not to realize that this guy has got cancer. How, how could I not see that? Which, which is so obvious when you think about it, because this guy was nothing anymore. He was dried out. He was at least like, for me, three feet shorter and smaller than he was the last time I saw him. It was just, everything was just diminished. It was gone. He, he was gone. His persona was gone. It was, it was amazing that he actually uh, still performed in that condition. You know what? For that long. I mean, if you, if you play the Zenit in Munich, there's a really long walk you have to do from the wardrobe, from your dressing room to the stage. Yeah. Believe me, I would not know until this day how this guy managed to get there and even with his base somewhere around it. I, I, how could he hold this bass for one and a half hours? I have no idea because this guy was nothing anymore. And then, you know, we took this picture and, uh, and I, and I, I know when you say uh, that, you, you mean like his health was nothing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. You know, I got in there and obviously, you know, from the last time I was used to, like, I would do some small talk. Mm-hmm. I go, like, Hey, yeah, great bands you brought along, you know, blah, 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 blah. J- just to say something, just be nice. And he wouldn't react to that. You know, he would look at you, but look right, right through you. Yeah. Like you, like you're not there. And so, you know, as, as, as much as I appreciate that I have this picture and it's the only picture that I have with Lemmy. I never took some before. I, yeah. I never thought about that. It was such a sad moment because for his picture, you know, they, they, they turned him pretty much around like the way he had to look for the camera because he wouldn't, he wouldn't even know what was going on, what was happening in this place. That was that was tough. I went out there and that I was is. like, and I was like, 
man, I don't know what I just experienced, but it wasn't good. Yeah. It was not good. So I think Doro was on that tour. And no, 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 that was with Saxon. Doro was on the tour before. Sorry, I, I got, no, sorry, I got, I got that all mixed up. And uh, the funny thing is, Saxon and Girls School. You know, we, we talked about, the, I, obviously I asked them about their relation to, to Lemmy and Motorhead because they've been, you know, with them for decades and Girls School did a single with, with, with Lemmy in the, in the early 80s, you know, whatever. So it's deep. Sure. But none of those, not Biff Byford, neither Biff Byford nor the girls from Girls School would actually say something about the state of Lemmy back then. They would just ignore it. And yeah. I, I don't understand that until now, you know? It, it it makes no sense. You gotta you gotta go out and say like you realize like it's letting me sick. Yeah, he's sick. He cannot tour anymore. I mean, I, I said I said to Ute the promoter after this photo thingy. I said, Ute, thank you, but please would you let this man go home and just cure himself for, from whatever he he's got? And she goes like, No, he wants it. He wants it. He wants to tour. He want, He's the one. I was like, I believe dude, that, dude. Don't push this fucking envelope. Yeah, just, I, you know, it makes no sense. I think he was just, you know, in the last, in those last years, you know, he just, you know, talk about the, the, the term die with your boots on, you know, he just really, what he did was he ignored this whole thing. Yeah. He, he needed to, because mm-hmm. he knew, he knew what was going to happen. Yeah, he knew if, it all along. And when you think Seriously. about it, if you give into it, then it's over, mm-hmm. you know? So if you keep fighting, then uh, you die on the battlefield and that's what he did. But, and, uh, and the most amazing thing is that uh, Lemmy was actually older when he died than David Bowie was by a year. Wow. I think Lemmy, Lemmy made the 70 and Bowie died at 69. That's amazing. <laughs> Which is crazy. It really is. Uh, so, you know, with this, this lifestyle. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard this Lemmy story. Okay. But there was this one, there's, there was this one club at the uh, St. Mark's Place in New York City. And... Uh, what was the name of it? It was some sort of punk rock club. I was in there once and I forgot the name. It doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's gone. And it was like a couple of stores and there were different uh, music playing on, on different levels. And uh, Lemmy was down there playing the pinball machine. And then uh, some guy next to him had a heart attack. And uh, Lemmy was so pissed that he had to give up on the ball that he was playing just to help this guy not dying. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard this? Uh, no. <laughs> and you know what? I believe it's true. Although it's a myth, I think this is totally this is totally real. Like, oh my god, you fucking fucker! Why why are you dying right now? You know. So, so did he get to high score? I, or did I, the guy I, die? Or what? Have, what happened? I have no idea what came out of it. <laughs> I just try to remember. They had those green door parties. What was the name of this place in St. Mark's Place? Coney Island High. Coney oh. Island High. That was the name of the club. Okay. That was where it was supposed where it, where it's uh, supposed to happen. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. Strange. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's funny. You know, you were, we were also talking about Saxon, and um, I, I just got to say that I, I've probably seen Saxon more times, maybe, and and played with them, you know, in festivals and and stuff, but throughout yeah. the years. Um, I've probably seen them maybe more than any other band. And they never let me down. Not one time. Not one How time. How could they? Did they ever How let me they? down? They no. just killed me every single time. And uh, It's amazing because I wish I had seen them once in their, in their low days. Like, was in, in, not in the mid-90s, but the mid-80s, they had a weak record out that I still liked. 
The one with the flags on there. What was it called? Oh, um, the One na Nation, All Nations, something. Yeah. I don't know. I still like this record, but everybody said it was shit. I'm like, no, oh, well. But, uh, you know, and I never saw them in their, their commercial, the Americanized uh, 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 period that they had. So I don't know. I don't know. But they've you know, always been amazing. The last 20 years, I'm like, oh my God, that's such a solid bank yeah. you know, of everything. You know. They're just so good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's there's there's nothing better except for a wishes rumor show obviously, <laughs> than uh, than singing along to to seven four seven. Oh man! That. When you're half ass drunk <laughs> and the sun comes on, you go nuts. And they've got you know a set full of songs like that. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just yeah. they're just one of those bands where you just when you see them live. You, you almost forget how many great yes. songs they have. Yes, exactly, totally. You go from a solid ball of rock to warm up to your show. Yeah, other people who play this as encore, <laughs> they go like, "Yeah, we're warming up," and the, you know, and the motorcycle man comes up. You know, oh, and Biff is always whistling the right way. <laughs> he's he's just it. one of the last of the great front men, and they're just a machine that really can never be stopped. Uh, I love Saxon. Yeah, it's funny. I. A couple of years ago, I was invited to their show in uh, in, in in London. I think it's the place is called the Roundhouse, and uh, <laughs> that's, that's actually funny. It was uh, it was filmed for a DVD mm. that never saw the light of day. I asked about it like a year later. He goes like, "No, that's not done yet. No, I don't know. I will see. Whatever, you know." But I was like, "I wish I could see it. You know, I was there." Oh yeah, well, no, no. Anyway, funny thing is, I don't know why they did it. <laughs> they had, you know, this big, this big light, you know, up front. The title is like Saxon tonight, sold out, right? <laughs> and you get closer, and you you see a sign there at, at the at the the cashier. You, you go like, ticket still available for a Saxon show, <laughs> <laughs> right underneath it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is that all about, <laughs> man? Back in the early days, um, God. Uh, Saxon and Accept. When I first started Vicious Rumors, I was up in a town north of San Francisco mm. called Santa Rosa. And um, still many ties to that city, my family, friends, and you know it's a great place. And the Santa Rosa Vets Memorial Building, Accept and Saxon. This was unheard of, okay? <laughs> They were my bands, right? <laughs> I, already, I was one of the, like, I just felt like, hey, You know, what, these are two of my treasures. I was just telling everyone, man, we got to go to this show. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden I get a call from uh, uh, one of the guys working there. Hey, somebody on the crew wants some weed. Can, can you know, what can we do? Can we bring, can, we, can you help me out, Jeff? And then, uh, well, let me see, you know, let me call my friends in the underground, see what I can come up with. So anyway, we hooked so up. So you basically called yourself. and yeah. then so, so I just went into my closet <laughs> and... Uh, I was there in 20 minutes, made 300 bucks, and uh, saw a great show. But uh, no, it was fantastic, man. And uh, just an un unbelievable show, um, Saxon and Accept at this Vets Hall. I mean, it was just mind-blowing to see those two bands together at that time, yeah. too, because they were both so underground. Yeah. 
in California at that time. And just last year, uh, we were on tour with Dirk Schneider yeah. and Udo. I, I asked Udo about that tour yeah. and he told me a very funny story that later on on that tour, yeah. they did a show. I think it was like in El Paso, Texas or something in this huge place. Like the promoter booked like some like. I don't know, 8,000 seat arena. <laughs> right. Like, you know, I think the audiences at that time for that package were, you know, maybe 500 or. <laughs> yeah, but, I can imagine. And, and you know, it was a little bit smaller crowd, but, but anyway, this, this one guy like just went way overboard, booked this huge venue. And I don't know, apparently like 30 people showed up. <laughs> Right. It was just like it was just the one bomb night of the tour, right? And 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 Udo and 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 Biff and the guy and the guys in the band were kind of laughing about it. And and they decided to pull a gag on everybody. When Saxon came out, yeah. Udo was the singer. And when Accept came out, Biff was the singer for Accept. They You're only crazy. did it one time. Yeah. And and let me just say on this podcast, if anybody out there has any videotape of that, <laughs> I mean, no rehearsals, no nothing. Uh, I think they were just singing the wrong words. Just you, you know what I mean. But Udo came out with Saxon, and Biff came out with Accept. I would have loved to have seen that. So Udo remembered that, and he told you that. Yeah, he told me that story, uh, and I was just like, look, I, I just was looking at him like a little kid, just like, oh my god, that's the greatest story I've ever heard. <laughs> you know, you know what. There was 30 people is good, but I've seen a show where, you know, like a major tour and a regular tour, not just some, some, you know, youth thingy or whatever. Um, there were seven people paying in, in, happens, a, in a 1500 man. club. I was one of them. <laughs> I was one of them. It was uh, 88. It was a Rage, Risk and Sabbath playing. Oh, wow. And it was three bands that were actually, you know, all right back then. You know, Rage had just the perfect man out with, uh, you know, Don't Fear the Winter and everything on there. And so they were known, but nobody went to see this fucking show. So I was basically the first row. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, it, was, it was just me So and, uh, and uh, my friends. And uh, so uh, I think that was, the, that was the, the concert with the least people I've seen. Well, you know, it, uh, those are the character building moments in uh, in rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, most it shows likely. you what you're made out of, right? That, that happens. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, well, of course, that's never happened to Vicious no, Rumors. No, but, uh, never ever. You started playing arenas right away. I know. <laughs> I, I was there. I'm sorry. I yeah. was conceived in arena and uh, <laughs> born in the backstage of a brothel. I'm sorry. No, I wasn't. So, what's the best Motorhead record? I don't know all of them by heart. Just to be honest, there's some 90s records like uh, Bastards or Do or Die, whatever they were called, that I that, that I'm not really I'm not really familiar with. But for me, I'm, obviously, you know, Ace of Spades, the classic one. That's, yeah, I mean, that's that's probably the first one that comes to mind. I always love the the energy of the No Sleep Till Hammerschmidt. Yeah, you well, the life mean? record, yeah, totally, totally. That that's, was that was a lot of. That was pretty badass. That was, you know, that was. You know, I, I think a lot of people, maybe, uh, of course, someone like yourself in the industry and, and a lot of, uh, you know, hardcore people that followed uh, Lemmy and, and Ozzy and stuff know it. But I think a, a lot of people in yeah. general might not know that one of Ozzy's biggest hits was written by Lemmy. Uh Uh -huh. Mama, I'm coming home. Mama, I'm coming Mama, home. Mama, I'm coming home. And, and from, right. what, from what I understand, right. Ozzy bought 
like five songs, like like hey, Lemmy, I'm I'm interested and I'm gonna gonna, like I he gave him some undisclosed amount of money and bought like five songs and one of them yeah. Turns uh-huh. out to be one of Ozzy's biggest hits. Yeah. And then he goes I, like, you stupid motherfucker. <laughs> Could have met a million. Well, I heard that Ozzy went back and took care of him. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Ozzy's, Ozzy's probably, he's not a bitch about that. Yeah. yeah. He's, he has, I think he has enough to go around. <laughs> but but, but, but I think that's pretty cool, though. You know, that's yeah. just another feather uh, heavy metal hero life of Lemmy. Yeah, which, which is funny because... Uh, you know, you always have you always have a certain kind of sound in in the back of your head when you think of Motorhead, and it's always this you know raw, aggressive form of rock and roll. It was rock and roll, you know, not more, not less. But then again, Motorhead they were world champions in cover song covering songs. Yeah. They did every they 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 covered Whiplash, yeah, from Metallica. Sure, and it's really good. Yeah, and then they did Sympathy for the Devil by the Stones, and when Lemmy does it. It makes sense all of a sudden. <laughs> you know, you're like, no, sorry, Mick, you're out. You know, that's it. And then you got the heroes one. You know, David Bowie, and you seem. It seems to be highly unlikely that that Motorhead would cover a Bowie song, but it, you know, once you hear it, and then just own it. Yeah, yeah. they own it. They own this stuff. That's you true. Know, the first time I saw Motorhead was also at the Old Waldorf, and in San Francisco, um, Bill Graham's nightclub, and they, dude, um, you're old. They start. <laughs> they started this Metal Monday thing, and you'd go there on a Monday night, and uh, you know you'd see Motorhead, you'd see Motley Crue, you'd see Vicious Rumors, you'd see uh, Exodus, Testament, oh, Death Angel. Uh, we, you know, we all yeah. started yeah. back then playing these uh, these clubs, and I remember when I how old, uh, how how many people would fit in there? This old Waldorf. Um, I think I was about. It was. It wasn't a real big place. Yeah. Um, it was kind of a. Uh, it was a long room. It wasn't a real deep room, but it was long. Uh, I, I, you know, that's a good question. I'm. I'm going to say about three to four hundred tops. That's not much. Yeah, I thought it was, and that's yeah, like completely packed. So, um, yeah. Yeah. and 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 uh, I got a, a, an interesting old Waldorf thing. We we uh, one of our first. Big weekend shows there. Yeah, we opened for Y and T. All right, way back then. Yeah, and we did a dinner show. And and, and <laughs> what's th- a dinner show? Well, <laughs> when you did two shows a night, there was a dinner show. All right, there was a dinner show where everyone's eating dinner during the opening band, and then Y and T comes on and plays. Then they empty the house. Yeah, and then and then we set up again. Yeah. And then play a second show with Y&T coming on again afterwards. So it was like we each did – it was two shows that night. And, and so you had, you had no, no movement, no action in the audience while they were eating their stuff. Well, right? it, I mean I, I, I almost felt bad for the people eating. I mean, here I'm, I'm standing, and this is back when we were into some really crazy theatrics back then. I'm out, I was coming out of coffins before King Diamond. He got that shit from me. Ah, uh, yeah, he did. So, King, you owe us. <laughs> I got ten percent. We had, uh, we had guys standing on stage in like monk outfits with candle operas and candles. I had a friend who, who had a hearse, and this lady. <laughs> 
gave me a stage coffin, like one of these 1800s <laughs> coffins that was from a, it was for a play yeah. and she yeah. had, she had no room for it. She said, Hey Jeff, would you like a coffin? I would love one. Thank you. <laughs> um, it was a perfectly normal thing for me. It was like, would you, you know, can I get you a cup of tea or something? Um, so it, it felt, <laughs> I had this coffin, um, the, and, and I was back then I was one of the first guys to have a wireless guitar, man. And, uh, I, I had met John Nady. Really, Where did he steal that from? <laughs> I, I met John Nady really early on in, in the wireless guitar yeah. uh, development. Uh, where he had the transmitter, and at that time, the receivers that would come with it were just like a, a Toshiba stereo <laughs> receiver. It wasn't even like some custom thing. It was just a, a receiver, and then you dial in an open station. You find an open frequency. Okay, it's working. And so um, we we you know here we are doing this dinner show, and like you know I'm coming out of a coffin. I got mascara coming down my face. Um, you know we got these you know upside down cross wristbands yeah. and striped spandex pants. We were a mess. Okay, <laughs> we're, it was like Alice Cooper meets a biker gang meets the New York Dolls meets. Yeah. Uh, punk rock, which I also invented. <laughs> no, and, uh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but uh, man, I, I just remember like coming out, un- coming out of that coffin, and like being so excited that we're playing. You know, we're opening for Y and T on a yeah. weekend night at the old Waldorf, and like you know, and just stepping out of that coffin with my guitar on, and I'm sweating, and I just look down, and these guys are looking up at me with like some fettuccine on their fork. <laughs> And, and with this look on their face, like, man, I'm trying to eat. You know what I mean? And, I, and like, it was just the oddest feeling that that first dinner show, like people are all trying to eat, you know, and we're, and we're playing them. Why and on the second show was much more fun. Yeah, we obviously they, they weren't eating, but, uh, but it was still a great honor to, to also play with Y and T. Y and T is, it's funny because I saw them fairly late. Uh-huh. I, I, you know, I, I knew them from the eighties when when I read about them, but they never really went over here. And they never broke anything over here, so they 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 didn't. I think they didn't pay too much attention to Europe and being here. Not so, till recently. Not till recently, yeah. exactly. And the first time actually, who brought them back? Uh, I don't know for sure. Maybe it was Sweden Rock, but it was definitely in uh, in uh, cooperation with the Banging Head Festival for sure. Because Horst, the the, the manager, the organizer of the Banging Head Festival, he's a big YNT fan. So he brought them back, and the first time I, re- I, I remember being at the at the Banger Head and and seeing YNT and being on stage with them was in 2006. Mm. In the summer of 2006, it just so happened that the Banger Head Festival took place in uh, at the weekend where Germany was playing the World Cup. Oh, great! And guess who played while YNT was playing? <laughs> Byron, Germany, oh, okay. Germany, a national team. You know, it was oh, the, the national team, Inter- exactly. Okay. And so they had like, you know, the Banging Heart Festival has between 10 and 20,000 people. Right at the time, there weren't that many of those 20,000 people <laughs> right in front of that stage, you know. Uh, so there was, I think you, in the zero years, there could have been no, no spot worse than this one. Yeah. Except maybe for the World Cup final or whatever, you know, when, when Germany was playing. But it was like, ah, oh, oh man, you, you got to be joking. You know, like... 95% of the audience was watching the game. Mm-hmm. 5% were watching Y&T. So I was watching the game on stage while watching Y&T. Okay. I, I was in, the, I was in the, the good position that there was a small TV screen. And I was like... Left eye, right eye. <laughs> yeah. And, and we, we wrote papers like, you know, it's a oh, German scored you know, to the audience. Like, and they go like, hey! 
hey, you know, and, and, and Dave Manichetti goes like, what the fuck's going on? No, he thought they were cheering for him. Yeah, they go like, I didn't play a solo right now. <laughs> why, why are they cheering? You know? Like, <laughs> that was a weird gig. Yeah. That was a weird gig. But he, they invited, I think they invited Vine back. Just, you know, to make up for that. So, uh, that's we, strange shit. Back then, uh, you know, back when and we when we were doing shows with them at the old Waldorf, I mean, Dave McHattie was just, you know, one of those guys that was one of the like top guys that mm-hmm. could sing like a as bad yeah. as badass as any lead singer yeah. and sh- shred solos as badass as any lead guitarist. And he was just one guy yeah. and made it look so natural. Like he was really what the first guy for me. That when I really zeroed in on like how powerful and uh, and how how incredible it was that this guy could like split his brain like that he could just be such a great guitar player and such a great singer and and in a different way I feel the same way about James Hetfield yeah he's, I, yeah you know when you see these guys do that it just makes you never want to hire a lead singer again. <laughs> You know, the funny thing is, I'm not a musician. I cannot play the guitar, I cannot sing, cannot do shit. But I can, I realize, I can realize that when James Hetfield is playing the rhythm guitar, this is something special that he does. Oh, yeah. There was this one song uh, for the Mission Impossible soundtrack that he did. I, I don't remember the name. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dun, 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 yeah, you know. dun, yeah. And he played a different rhythm guitar thingy for every... Uh, verse that he did I'm like what the fuck is going on how, do you, how does he do that and then you start listening to the song again and again and you go like and the more you listen to it you go like the more complicated it gets like what he does and the same same goes out to Millie from Creator absolutely he's <laughs> he's fantastic and he's doing yeah. some complicated stuff yeah you watch him playing and, and you know, and then go, destroy! How the fuck do you do that? No. How do you part your brain like this? And I have no idea. It's amazing. For, for me, and, and I don't consider myself, I, I always high, I take the easy road out and hire singers, but, but I do a lot of vocals and playing at the same time. And, yeah. and the way that I do it is I try to do, because I've been playing guitar for so long, yeah. I try to just do, Put the guitar on automatic pilot, sort of. That's why I think that's what you need to do. And then just try to, you know, try to just rely on my experience as a guitar player, and then focus on yeah. the singing. Yeah. But yeah. it's it, you know, it's easier said than done, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I still to this day, when I see people singing and playing and doing it so well like that, yeah. um, I always appreciate it very much. What is the worst professional concert you've ever seen? The worst concert of a professional band, let's put it that way. I tell you well, mine. I tell you mine. Okay, tell me yours. The biggest disappointment. There's two. Okay. Biggest disappointment I've seen is uh, Ice T and Body Count. Oh, okay. Because they just got heavy metal wrong. Yeah, from the beginning, probably. <laughs> I don't know about now. There was there was. Oh God, when was that? When did uh, Cop Killer came out and oh. the first Body Count record? That was when I saw them, and it was a sold-out place, obviously, mm-hmm. here in Munich, uh, at the old airport back then, 5,000 people. And there were two two songs into the show. I was like, I'm sorry, I got to go home. Yeah. I can't I can't watch this anymore. This feels so wrong. And it felt wrong. Yeah. yeah up to this day, I'm, 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 I stand by my word. Second one, the second uh, uh, worst show I've seen, and I've seen it twice. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad you went back <laughs> yeah, for more. Yeah. <laughs> that was Soundgarden. 
Oh, okay. Because Soundgarden is the most boring band on stage ever. Yeah. Now, obviously, and unfortunately, it cannot be anymore. But uh, they opened up for Sabbath uh, at the last tour when they played in Munich here. Oh. And uh, I saw them. Back in the 90s, I saw them once and they were all right, uh, which I I didn't realize. But then I saw them again and uh, it was like a, a, a mini festival in 1994, 95. And uh, Caius were up front uh, and being the special guest. And Caius nailed them on the wall. Yeah. Like totally like Josh Arm. You know, Omi, this guy who does the Queens of the Stone Age. Now he was, you know, and Carlos was so big already. And Soundgarden came out and they put themselves to sleep. Oh. And the audience too. It was so, mm-hmm. it was so non-entertaining. <laughs> it wasn't even funny anymore. You know, although I like Soundgarden songs. I, I, but I'd still. Ha- I'd have to say my, probably the, just off the top, the yeah. biggest disappointment was for me, which was a band that was, always great live that i saw up until that point yeah. was when i saw van halen headline the us festival because all oh, right yeah, yeah because yeah. all the bands were so great and i was just thinking like okay they're gonna come out now van halen is just gonna destroy the world and they just came out and they were also at that time the highest paid band i think we talked about this a we little bit about, yeah, yeah we did and and he just came out they were just so bloated and drunk and played awful and but I don't know. They just didn't. They they made so much money that they were just. I don't know. But building up on that, yeah. what what do you think about or what did you think about the Van Halen reunion with David Lee Roth back you know a couple of years ago? Well, I went. I went and saw it. You saw that. I went. And I saw didn't. It. Okay. How was it? They really missed Michael Anthony. I felt. I All th- right. I really. I mean, I, I Wolfgang, uh, Eddie's son, yeah. talented musician, pretty good singer, everything, and you know, it, it's great to have your have your son in the band. I'm sure, but I really, uh, really miss the power of Michael Anthony's playing and his background vocals. Eddie carried the whole show. David mm. Lee Roth was really kind of weird, but I've always loved him as a frontman back in the day. Eddie's <laughs> Eddie's guitar was fantastic and really carried everything. Uh, I was did, slightly did, disappointed. Didn't you think that, from what I saw, that David Lee Roth looked like a clown? Yeah, he just was... Uh, what, what was cool back then just got ridiculous right now? Yeah, you know I, I, mean? I liked him better when he was just a drunk rock star. You know, like um, <laughs> when he was just really drunk and he was just funny as a rock star. But, yeah. And then it was different this time around for sure. I'll tell you one of the funniest low points i saw at a concert yeah that where where i admired the the way they turned it around i went do you remember when aerosmith put out the one album without joe perry or brad whitford what I, was it nine in the ruts i, I don't even know which one it was but. i i can't remember i think it was called lightning strikes yeah. lightning Could strikes yeah. i think that's what, what it was called but it was um without joe perry without brad whitford same rhythm section and yeah. steven tyler yeah. and uh I, I just I, I don't know even how I found myself there, but anyway, I was I was at the concert, <laughs> and and it wasn't going very well. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, it was a real low point. The band wasn't. You could just see they were just kind of going through the motions, and yeah. just kind of had a feeling like it sucked. <laughs> and um, you know, it was just one of those kind of bump. You know, it was it was almost like there's nothing you can do about it. You know, yeah. it was just like wow, why is this? You can't even really put your finger yeah. on it. Yeah. So anyway. It's kind of a low point going to a low point, and 
sinking fast. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and then there's this one point where, yeah. where Tyler's in the middle and one of these guitar players comes over and they're kind of trying to, you know, put on a little, put a little vibe together. Right. And, and then the, the guitar player, you know, breaks away and starts running off to the other side. Well, you could see from the audience yeah. that his leg was all tangled up in Steven Tyler's microphone cable. <laughs> okay. And you could also see from the stage that Tyler and the guitarist had no idea <laughs> that, that he was tangled up in it. So, so Tyler's going one way, the guitar players going the other way. And you could just watching the tension in the mic cable Getting getting tighter it's like and a lady tighter. In the tramp with the spaghetti, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, you're just watching it get tighter and tighter. All of a sudden, there's no more room left, and just boom, the guitar player just trips and falls, and just bang, you just hear his guitar, crang, and 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 at this very second, you're thinking this is the lowest moment in rock and roll. The, 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 I got I got one lower moment. <laughs> A private lower moment. Okay, okay. I, I, I just I just thought of that because you said low. A couple of years ago, CC Top played at Zenit, uh, and uh, for one reason or the other, my boss was asked to be like an opening DJ. Oh, so I said, "I'm coming. <laughs> I'm there too, dude. You're not gonna do this alone. Never, <laughs> fucking ever. I'm with you." Yeah. So we went there, and of course, nobody knew anything. Blah, and so you know, we went there and we. we 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 walked on stage through the dressing rooms, and so you know at the Zenit you have a couple of dressing rooms, and sometimes the doors are open, sometimes the doors are closed. The door CC Top store was open, right? It was late afternoon, late afternoon we were after, and so I saw I saw I don't know it's it's Billy Gibbons and Dusty Hill, right? And uh, I saw I think. I'm not sure because I was so in shock, so I, I don't remember completely anymore. But I saw at least one of them in in those, you know, long red overalls that you wear as underwear, like this typical American pajama type of thing. Okay. And they were standing in the in the, in the dressing room like this, and I thought to myself, okay, rock and roll is dead. Yeah. What It's are these hillbillies dead. doing? I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 actually I, I'm supposed to be out of here. I you know I I was like. This can't be true. I saw, you know, CC Top in their underwear. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't want to, you know. You know, now a lot of things about you are coming. I, I understand you a lot more now. <laughs> My psychosis you, and everything you know? I know. <laughs> well, well you, I think, I think you know, we should, yeah. Can I just, I just wanted to just tell you one more thing about that Aerosmith thing. Yes. When, tell me. Okay, so when the guitar player fell and, he, and, the, and you know, I'm thinking, okay, this is the lowest moment yeah. in rock and roll history. Yeah. In one split second, Tyler turned around, saw the guy on the ground, and turned this lemon into lemonade. He turned because in one second he turned around and saw the guy on the ground, realized the whole show just went to shit, took his mic stand and held it up like a fishing pole, and then re like this, re <laughs> like he's reeling him in and dragged him. He's wrapped up in the microphone and dragged him across the stage. And and actually turned the sour moment into one of the coolest things. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's, I, that's true showbiz, right? That's you know, when you, you got it or you don't. You and, and and that's uh, you know Steven Tyler, love him, hate him, whatever. That was one of one of the most badass things that I've ever seen. Taking a total disaster on stage and making it something golden. So ending on a positive note. Yes. 
Uh, we need to talk about Aerosmith the next time too, I guess, uh, on the Heavy Metal Culture Clash podcast with Jeff Thorpe of Vicious Rumors. It's an honor, Thomas. The baddest, biggest, best guitar player. Legends in, in our here. own mind. <laughs> um, yeah. It's an honor to be doing the podcast with you, my friend. Yes, and uh, we'll see you guys and hopefully uh, you hear us uh, next time when we're on there. Cheers keep, and keep, keep metal alive. Yeah. Heavy Metal Culture Clash. Subscribe to our channel for more heavy rock and metal podcasts.